You are listening to Fundamentals of Piano Practice, written by Chuang Zichang and read by Henrik Pantle. Preface This is the first book ever written on how to practice at the piano. The revelation of this book is that there are highly efficient practice methods that can accelerate your learning rate by up to 1000 times if you have not yet learned the most efficient practice methods. What is surprising is that, although these methods were known since the earliest days of piano, they were seldom taught because only a few teachers knew about them and these knowledgeable teachers never bothered to write them down or let others in on their secret. I realized in the 1960s that there was no good book on how to practice the piano. The best I could find after a literature search was Whiteside's book, which was an utter disappointment. As a graduate student at Cornell University, studying until 2 a.m. just to keep up with some of the brightest students from all over the world, I had little time to practice piano. I needed to know what the best practice methods were, especially because whatever I was using wasn't working, although I had taken piano lessons diligently for seven years in my youth. How concert pianists could play the way they did was an absolute mystery to me. Was it just a matter of sufficient effort, time and talent, as most people seem to think? If the answer were yes, it would have been devastating for me because I meant that my talent level was so low that I was a hopeless case because I had put insufficient effort and time, at least in my youth, practicing up to eight hours a day on weekends. The answers came to me gradually in the 1970s when I noticed that our two daughters' piano teacher was teaching some surprisingly efficient methods of practice that were quite different from methods taught by the majority of piano teachers. Over a period of more than 10 years, I kept track of these efficient methods and came to the realization that the most important factor for learning to play the piano was the practice methods. Effort, time and talent were merely secondary factors. In fact, talent is difficult to define and impossible to measure. Talent might play some role in determining the winner of a Van Clippen competition, however, For the majority of aspiring musicians, talent is a nebulous word we use frequently, but it has no definable meaning. In fact, proper practice methods can make practically anybody into a talented musician. I saw this happen all the time at hundreds of student recitals and piano competitions that I have witnessed. Every dedicated student who found the right teacher became a talented musician. There is now mounting evidence, some discussed in this book, that genius or talent may be more created than born. Mozart is possibly the most prominent example of the Mozart effect. Some have renamed this the Beethoven effect, which might be more appropriate because Mozart had some personality weaknesses, etc., that sometimes taint his otherwise glorious music. Note that listening to music is only one component of the complex Mozart effect. For pianists, making music comprises the larger component. Thus, good practice methods will not only accelerate the learning rate, but also help to develop musical brain, especially for the young. The learning rate is accelerated, not merely speeded up. 
Therefore, in a matter of a few years, students without proper practice methods will fall hopelessly behind. This makes those students with good practice methods appear far more talented than they really are because they can learn in minutes or days what it takes the others months or years to learn. Thus, the notation that piano technique is finger strength and dexterity may be mostly a figment of the imagination with no supporting evidence. Technique is more brain and nerve development and improved music and memory ability. Practice methods can make the difference between a lifetime of futility and a concert pianist in less than 10 years for young dedicated students. Using the right practice methods, it takes just a few years for a diligent student at any age to start playing for meaningful pieces from famous composers. The saddest truth of the past two centuries has been that, although most of these great practice methods were discovered and rediscovered thousands of times, they were never documented and each student either had rediscovered them by him or herself, or, if lucky, learned them from teachers who had some of these methods in their heads. The best example of this lack of documentation is the teachings of Franz Liszt. There are a dozen of Franz Liszt societies and they have produced hundreds of publications. Numerous books have been written about Liszt and thousands of teachers have claimed to teach the Franz Liszt method, complete with documented teaching lineages. Yet, there is not one publication that describes what the method is. One reason for this lack of documentation may be that good teaching methods are the basis for the livelihood of most teachers and are therefore a form of trade secret. There are endless accounts of Liszt's accomplishments and technical prowess, yet there is not one reference on the details of how he got that way. There is some evidence in the literature that Liszt himself could not remember exactly what he did in his youth. This is understandable, because he was probably experimenting and trying something different every day. Since piano pedagogy has succeeded in losing track of how the greatest pianists of all time initially acquired his basic technique, it is little wonder that we have not had anything close to what we might call a textbook on learning piano. Can you imagine learning math, physics, history, computer programming or anything else without a textbook and, if you are lucky, only your teacher's memory as a guide? Yet, when you go to your piano lessons, the teacher never gives you a textbook on piano practice. Consequently, every teacher has her own methods of teaching or practice and each thinks that his method is better than anyone else's. Without textbook and documentation, our civilization would not have advanced much beyond that of jungle tribes, whose knowledge base had been passed on by word of mouth. That's basically where piano pedagogy has been for the last 200 years. There are many books on learning piano, but none of them qualify as textbooks for practice methods, which is what students need. Many of these books tell you what skills you need, scales, arpeggios, thrills, etc., and the more advanced books describe the fingerings, hand positions, movement, etc., to play them, but none of them provide a systematic set of instructions on how to practice. 
Most beginner music books provide a few such instructions, but many of those instructions are wrong. A good example in this amateurish advertisement on how to become a virtuoso in 60 exercises in the introduction to the Hanun series, written by none other than Hanun himself. If you were to take a survey of recommended piano practice methods from a large number of piano teachers who have not read this book, many of those methods would contradict each other so that we know immediately that they can't all be correct. Not only that, but because there was no textbook, we had no idea about what comprises a reasonably complete set of instructions. In piano pedagogy, the most essential tool for the student, a basic set of instructions on how to practice, had been basically non-existent until this book was written. I did not realize how revolutionary the methods of this book were until after I finished my first edition book. All I knew initially was that they were better than what I had been previously using. For years, I had been applying them with good, but not remarkable results. I experienced my first awakening after I finished that book. That was when I really read my own book and followed the method systematically and experienced their incredible efficiency. So what was the difference between just knowing the parts of the method and reading a book? In writing the book, I had to take the various parts and arrange them into an organized structure that served a specific purpose and that had no missing essential components. As a trained scientist, I knew that organizing the material into a logical structure was the only way to write a useful manual. It is well known in science that most discoveries are made while writing the research reports, not when conducting the research. It was, if I had all the parts of a terrific car but without a mechanic to assemble the car and tune it up, those parts weren't much good for transportation. Whatever the exact reasons were for the effectiveness of this book, I became convinced of its potential to revolutionize piano teaching and decided to write a second edition. The first edition wasn't even a bona fide book. It didn't have an index or a reference section. I had hurriedly written it in four months when I had a little free time between jobs. Clearly, I had to conduct a broader research in order to fill any gaps and do a thorough review of the literature. That is, I had to satisfy the requirements for a truly scientific approach to piano practice. I also decided to write this book on my website so that it could be updated as my research progressed and whatever was written would be immediately available to the public. As we all know by now, an internet book has many other advantages. One of them is that you don't need an index because you can do a word search. As it turned out, This book is becoming a pioneering effort in providing free education over the Internet. Next week I will continue reading the preface of this book. Sorry for my pronunciation. This is coming from Germany, so my mother tongue is German. If you prefer to read this book on your own, go to members.aul.com slash Chang eight eight two eight slash contents dot HTML